I want to start with a story um, that Don Thorson told to help us begin today's message. Don is the author of the book Calvin versus Wesley. And he says, when I was in seminary, a roommate of mine signed up for CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. His particular, uh, yeah, his particular supervised ministry was to serve as a chaplain in a state university hospital. And on the first day, his supervisor sent the student chaplains out onto the hospital floors without instruction. So just think about the vulnerability there. Upon return, the student chaplains lamented that, they're, that they were unsure about how to minister to the patients. Should they pray for the patients? If they prayed, then how should they pray? For physical healing? For spiritual healing? For encouragement or perseverance? For quality care from their musicians? Or should they not pray, but minister to the patients more in the gifts of presence, conversation, or advocacy on behalf of their particular needs? Well, the supervisor responded to the student chaplains by asking the question, what is your view of God? What is your view of God? He said, if you believe that all things happen according to the will of God, then you will pray that God's will be done. If you believe in a God who heals, then you will pray for healing. If you believe in a God who helps people help themselves, then you will pray for spiritual, physical, and emotional strength for the patients. If you believe, if you do not believe in a God who answers prayers, then most likely you will concentrate more on being present with the patients, conversing with them and advocating for them. Thorson goes on to say that this story profoundly influenced him as a young seminarian because it made him realize how important his view of God is. It influenced the rest of his world. And so I want to ask you this morning... How do you view God? As Christians, how we view God affects all aspects of our lives. So how do you view God? Just think about that for a moment. For example, our view of God affects how much or how little we think that God is actively involved in our salvation. You ever thought about that? It affects how much or how little we think that God is actively involved in our day-to-day lives. Is God very much involved or just a little bit involved? To give you an example, I've spoken with people who believe that God created and left. So how does that view of God affect how they live their lives, how they associate with other people? 
on the opposite end of that spectrum as people who believe that God is involved in every breath, every millisecond of our lives. And, and when you think about God in that manner, how do you live your life? How do you treat other people? What priorities does God have and what ends is God trying to achieve? Is God's will primarily for our individual benefit or for the benefit of the church? Or are there grander plans involved which may or may not directly affect us as individuals? Do, does, I should say, God's plan include society? Does it include all countries? Does it include our environment? How do you view God? And now many of you are thinking, dear God, what have I gotten myself in today? Which that prayer in and of itself says something about how you view God, right? You know, although that may be true, this is probably more a cerebral sermon today. Um, but uh, I want you to think about how you view God. No matter, no, excuse me, no matter how much or how little you even think about God, your belief about God shapes your world. Amen. If we think in the big scale here, is your view of God transcendent? If you get too close, you will burn up because of the sin in your life. Removed from our life, all-powerful, absolute? Or is your view of God imminent? Always close in everything. You see, how we view God truly affects how we see the rest of the world. It truly affects how we see other people. It truly affects how we treat other people. And quite honestly, it truly affects um, how we treat the world. I, of course, I was thinking about this message, but uh, whenever I went up to Stanbury to help Dad get transferred into the, the nursing home, I, uh, uh, and on my way back, someone kept throwing McDonald's items out the window coming down 71. And it surprised me how irritated I got with that. To be honest with you, I got so irritated that if I saw the car it was coming out of, I would have called 911 and gave him the license plate number. Now, what does that tell me about the kind of God that I view? You see, two men that will help us with this, that and this is going to be more than just today. There's no way that I can get all of this going and... and uh, uh, Kevin doesn't know it yet, but he's going to preach the hardest sermon next week on, on this. But uh, two, 
Two men that will help us with this that really shaped the Protestant church were John Calvin and John Wesley. Now, hopefully, if you don't know both of them, you know one of the two. So, John Calvin, anyone? John Wesley. All right. All right, good. Yeah, John Wesley, as uh, you hopefully know, he was he and his brother were the founder of the Methodist movement. As a matter of fact, John Wesley and his brother are um, founder of the Methodist movement, which became the Methodist church, which became all the Wesleyan churches, which became all the Pentecostal churches, which became all the charismatic churches. That all came out of the Methodist movement. John Calvin was born, that was the best picture I could find of him. He was born July 10th, 1509. He died May 27th, 1567, or 64, at 54 years old. He was an influential French theologian, pastor during the Protestant Reformation. He was a systematic theologian, which means that uh, I have a tendency to be a systematic theologian. It means that if you believe in God this way, you... Um, uh, and you believe in who Jesus Christ is, it just kind of takes you right down a path where the dots connect all the way to how that influences your life, right? There are some theologies that you have a little pocket of belief here, and then you have a little pocket of belief here, and you have a little pocket of belief here, and none really influence the other. Uh, Systematic theology believes they all hang together, okay? And the principal figure in the development of uh, Calvin was the principal figure in the development of the system of Christian theology, later called Calvinism. Hopefully you've heard of that. Um, Aspects of of which include the doctrine of predestination, right? According to Calvin, you were predestined to be here today to hear this message. So sit up straight. You had nothing to do with that decision. Uh, Calvin believed in absolute sovereignty and the absolute sovereignty of God in salvation of the human soul from death and eternal damnation. John Wesley was born 139 years after Calvin uh, died, June 28, 1703, and he died March 2, 1791. He was an Anglican, I say that five times real quack, quick, Anglican minister and theologian who with his brother Charles Wesley and fellow cleric George Whitfield, Whitfield was also a Calvinist, created uh, the foundation of the evangelical movement known as Methodism. His work and writing also played a leading role in the development of the holiness movement and like I said before, Pentecostalism. He was a practical theologian. Practical theologian, which essentially is a flexible, systematic theologian. Right? Uh, Wesley argued for the notion of Christian perfection and against Calvinism, and in particular against its doctrine of predestination. So, what do I mean when I say Christian perfection? Have I spoken about that enough for you to be familiar with that? Does that mean that we are perfect in everything that we say and do? That if we kiss something, it turns to gold? Obviously not, right? 
No, I'm not perfect. And I'm not the kind of perfect of that Calvin talked about either, right? It talks about that you love God so much that it is just in your nature that outwardly you absolutely love and serve people. So love God, love people. That's what Wesley's perfection is. It's not that you don't trip every once in a while or knock something off the shelf. You see what I'm saying? So that's what uh, Wesleyan perfectionism is about. Um, He held that, Wesley, again, held that in this life, Christians could achieve a state, this is perfectionism, where the love of God reigned supreme in their hearts, quote-unquote. If the love of God reigns supreme in your heart all the time, please, I want to just say, hey, how you doing? Let some of that eek off. Right? It, uh, it, is, it, it helps you in, a, in an outward holiness, get living outwardly um, in a holiness state. And his evangelicalism, firmly grounded in sacramental theology, that is one reason why in, a, in other churches, for instance, a, a Christian church, uh, anyone within the congregation can serve communion. In the United Methodist Church, um, and it's because of John Wesley and his understanding of sacramental theology, the ordained pastor always has to bless the, the bread and the juice before um, it can be served. Okay. Now, why am, I, why am I doing all this? Well, there have been questions about why Methodist, why Baptist, why Christian. And we get caught up typically on um, things like baptism. We get caught up on things like sacrament, like I just mentioned with, with uh, uh, communion, right? But it's really much deeper than that, that, that separates us. It's this idea around who God is. Do we have a God who's loving and caring? Do we have a God who is judgmental and um, removed? Transcendent was the word I used earlier, right? These are the ideas that separate churches. Typically, it's not baptism and communion and, and things such as that, right? So, so the reason why I am sharing this with you is because of your questions, but also hopefully coming through this somewhere, you'll say, oh, that's why I go to the Methodist church, right? You know, sometimes we go to the church because our family goes there. Now, my age and younger, that is really, really not the case anymore. They, are, they go to whatever church they want to go to, you know, but like my age, we would kind of go to town and Look for a United Methodist Church. Everybody understand that? Yeah. People my age and younger, they don't understand that concept. Even when pressured by mom and dad, right? Yeah. So, so, um, but you know, so, and I think a lot of that has to do because we don't talk about why Church of Christ? Why United Methodist? Why Southern Baptist? And quite honestly, a lot of the things are kind of silly. But most of them have to do with theology, which is a deep understanding of who God is. So, um, John Wesley was grounded in sacramental theology. He maintained that means of grace 
were the manner by which God sanctifies and transforms the believer, encouraging people to experience Jesus Christ personally. So what does that mean? That means when we take communion, the bread and the juice are chosen by God, right? The bread and the juice chosen by God are the best way in our life to experience God's presence. Baptism. Well, wait, how many sacraments do we have as United Methodists? Two, that's right. The sacrament of Holy Communion, the sacrament of baptism, right? And those two sacraments are the best way, according to the United Methodist Church, which goes back to John Wesley, uh, for us to experience God's presence in our life. And the fancy words are, they are a means of grace and the manner by which God sanctifies or makes holy and transforms the believer, which is usens, right? You like my English, don't you, Linda? To experience Jesus Christ personally. All right, love and sovereignty. So what does all of this mean and why am I talking about Calvin and Wesley? Of all other men since Luther, these two men have influenced the Protestant faith more than anybody else. While Calvin believed in the sovereignty of God and that our path and salvation was chosen for us and we simply live into it, right? Wesley believed that God's love ruled and he loved us so much. So, um, so uh, Calvin believed that God's sovereignty ruled above all else. Wesley believed that God's love ruled above all else. Does that make sense? All right, so um, am I, are everybody with me this morning? I know you may be bored, but honestly, folks, this is important, important stuff. So, so again, while Calvin believed in the sovereignty of God and that our path and salvation was chosen for us and we simply lived into it, Wesley believed that God's love ruled and he loved us so much that we had freedom to choose. I've been trying to think of a couple metaphors to, to help us and and the one that came to mind is, was last Saturday. I was really in a quandary. <clears throat> because I was sitting, as, long, uh, as well as the rest of my family, in St. Joe Hospital. My dad had just had open heart surgery the day before, and he started rattling in his chest. Which is the first signs of pneumonia, right? So we're sitting there, about the time I'm thinking about coming home, Right? And this all happens, and uh, whenever things like that happen, I kind of, I don't physically go to a corner, but mentally I kind of go to a corner and just, you know, and uh, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, you, you, you will, uh, if you're ever put in that situation. My personality type just kind of, I'm just constantly thinking, and so my, outwardly I don't do anything, Right. And uh, so Jamie asked me a question. I said, you know what? It would be so much easier if someone just told me what I should do. Should I stay here with the family, with mom and dad, and, and be with them? Or should I go home and should I be in worship on Sunday morning? It had nothing to do with the great leadership that we have and the trust I have in, in people being able to carry through with things here. It had to do more with just me in that field of responsibility, right? And, and so if I were um, 
Calvin, believing in the uh, sovereignty of God, I would have been told what to do. Right? There would have been no question what I would do because that is right, my responsibility. Coming here to worship would have no other thing above it. People understand that? Now, you know, with all metaphors, there can be holes shot in them, but I'm just trying to get you an understanding of, of this. So for Calvin, the decision would already be made for me, i.e., I really wouldn't have any responsibility in the decision, would I? Right? So whereas with Wesley, he would have asked, how are you more of an example of who Jesus is? So, Eric, you need to make the decision. Are you more of an example of of Jesus by staying here and being with family? Or are you more of an example of going home, leading worship? Right? And Well, obviously, I, I understood that I was more of an example by staying at the hospital and being with dad and mom. Another metaphor that I came up with is the China Wall and a river. What in the world, Eric? Well, obviously, the China Wall has been around for how long? Larry, do you remember? (laughs) You helped build it. I'm sorry, Larry. I just thought maybe you 65326 folks might remember that, so... But uh, anyway, it is solid. It is massive, right? I've never been to it. It's kind of one of my bucket list things to go and be able to see it and stand on it someday in my life, right? Um, But if the earth's crust shifted from an earthquake, what would happen to 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 China's wall? It would crumble, right? Now, now that is more of an example of, of Calvinistic theology. Everything has to hang together. You see what I'm saying? Versus Wesleyan type theology, that practical theology, is more like a river. Now, when you have a river and the earth's crust shifts, what happens to that river? It finds its way, right? It shifts. It finds its way to the ocean. It really doesn't bother the the river, does it? It just moves on to the ocean and in some cases makes a new way, right? And and so can you, between those two different things, my decision last weekend, the river, China Wall, does that kind of make make sense as far as what the difference is between Calvinistic theology and... And this idea of Wesleyan theology. The, the more Wesley worked with the followers of Calvin, the less patience he had with their belief, even though Whitfield was one of his main cohorts, which was a Calvinist. Wesley understood God to be love, a loving God above all. He was profoundly influenced by how God's love must predominate how we view God and God's relationship with us. One among many scripture that influenced Wesley was our scripture for today. And just let me reread it. If you have your Bibles out, you're welcome to follow along. I'll be reading the New Revised Standard Version. So it's John 4, 7, and I'm actually going to read through 12. And this says, Beloved, 
let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this love, in this is love, I beg your pardon, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us. Did you catch that? Do you love the enemy before they love you? That's kind of what God did. God loved the enemy before the enemy loved God, right? In this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to, come on now, love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love another, God lives in us. And His love is perfected in us. So, here in other places, the Bible says that God is love. And Wesley thought that the crucial message of the entire Bible had more to do with uplifting the love of God than the power of God. This is not to say that the power and, and of God and His sovereignty is not important. That is not Wesley's point. But that power without love misses out on the full self-realization and revelation of God to people in the Bible. So, therefore, how we view God is inseparable with how we think about ourselves and the world which we live. What we say and what we do. It affects our relationship with God as well as our understanding of God. It affects our view of other people as well as how we treat other people. Amen? Our view of God influences whether we are hopeful about the future or whether we are resigned to forces beyond our control. Can you follow that? It influences how responsive or insecure we are to our circumstances. Do we think of ourselves as active participants in the world, spiritually as well as physically? Or do we just kind of ride the boat? Although we must um, ultimately trust in God for how life unfolds, to what degree do we believe that God wants us to be active participants? This is kind of thick today. I fully am aware of that. But this is so important. Basic, basic beliefs in how churches have been formed in history. Both are very biblical. That's not the argument today. Both of these men, if I would sit down and argue with them scripturally, they would probably just trounce me, right? So it's not that their beliefs aren't scriptural. And that is why this argument has lasted for so very, very long. So the question is this, a church like 
the United Methodist Church is based on Wesleyan theology, as well as other churches. So, if you want to find your home in a United Methodist Church or a Wesleyan Church or um, there are other churches, right? Know that that is the foundation of that church. The idea that God is love. That because of God's love, we choose to serve our fellow people. That was a presidential statement. We choose to serve our fellow human beings. How about that, right? So that is the idea of of the Wesleyan theology. There are many, many books. Just search Wesleyan Calvin on the internet and uh, you'll get an overload of stuff if you're interested. It would be awesome if you are. I think it would help many of us understand why we believe what we believe. Why we're attracted to some churches and maybe go, huh, to others, right? Nothing's wrong with either way. It's just that there's a basic understanding of why that church is in the world today. So, how we view God is inseparable with how we think about ourselves and the world in which we live. What we say and what we do. It affects our relationship with God as well as our understanding as well as our understanding of God. It affects our views of other people as well as how we treat other people. <laughs> However, does not love... Uh, what did I do there? Disregard that. Uh, I don't think I meant for that last statement to be in there. I'm just glad it's you know not... Anyway... Um, It affects our view of other people as well as how we treat other people. I left the tail end of the scripture in there, didn't I? So, John Wesley, John Calvin, right? Practical type theologian, God is love. Calvinism leans more on the sovereignty of God, the all-powerful, transcendent aspect of God. Uh, Where you've probably heard this the most is in the Presbyterian church with predestination. And there's a select group of people who are saved. And in that belief, if you're not in that select group, it doesn't matter what you do, you will not ever be saved. See what I'm saying? Versus Wesley believed that God put that prevenient grace out there for everyone who will respond. Okay, are you seeing the differences here? Right, you know. um, So anyway, this is important stuff. And in the weeks and months to come, I'm going to just lift this up every once in a while. Probably you can't handle it more than once a month, maybe. Right? Can I get an amen on that? Once a quarter, like the Methodist Church used to do communion once a quarter, huh? But uh, anyway, which is a prime example of practical theology, which we can get into. Uh, later on so all right so do you understand what we're talking about today as far as john wesley's concerned in the united methodist church what is god's primary attribute love right john wesley believes that every other thing from god begins with love okay let's pray dear god we celebrate you we thank you so much for these amazing men and women that have come before us that had such powerful personalities and you bless them in such ways that they have 
changed history or made history, Lord, that they have created churches that honor you and glorify you, that they have done their best, Lord, to um, understand you and then lift that up so that your church and your love and your hope will continue on in this world for years and years and years to come. So as we go from this place as United Methodists today, we ask for your powerful anointing. We ask that you, Lord, as I say, woo us into what you are blessing, God. If we are a ways away from what you are blessing, we are asking in Jesus' name that you move us to what you are blessing in this community so we can be a part of your awesome way in this world. Help us, God, to help you bless other people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.